Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. Our mission is to live the way of Jesus so we can leave the world better than we found it. If you'd like more information about our church, you can click on the link in the show notes or head to Christ-Community.com. All right, let's get started. Let's continue worshiping in the reading and preaching of God's word. Today's scripture is from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. So... Uh, apparently there's at least one person uh, here who wears Crocs um, and a Buffalo Bills fan too. So I have to start out apologizing for last week. Uh, You know, the things you get texted in the middle of the week now. I love it. I love it. I love outing all the Crocs wearers. Uh, Just kidding. They're great. Again, if you think you might be walking through water that day, they're great. So, um, Hey, uh, seriously, though, um, uh, if you're interested in the seminary class at all, I'll be here on Tuesday nights when that is running. Um, if you go through the QR code and then you kind of get over to the, the seminary uh, page and start like applying to be part of it, et cetera, you're not going to see a whole lot of information on their page, unfortunately. So if you get into any of that and you have questions, just feel free to uh, to reach out to ask me. Um, and you can also just show up here at 530 uh, on Tuesday night. So uh, you don't have to like make sure you've signed up before you're here. We can take care of all that stuff along the way. So uh, it's, it's super fun. We had a few folks here uh on on tuesday night and it was uh it was awesome uh also just a note for uh we have launched our community groups we're pumped about that uh if you are new and you have not you've uh, maybe you said hey i'm interested in community groups you haven't received anything yet uh, i'm going to touch base with you this week uh we'll be launching something uh uh helpful for just if you're brand new uh, so I'll, I'll touch base and let you know about that. If you're new here this morning and you have not said I'm interested in a community group, well, grab me or feel free to use the, uh, again, the QR code or whatever. We'll get uh, in touch with you and get you connected with that. Uh, for many of us, though, we've uh, we dove into uh, community groups some last week, and uh, I'm sure that was just in some ways great. Just be back with uh, your folks, and uh, uh, I think several groups added some folks as well, which is fun. Uh, and and yet, it's also like it's something we have done a lot as Christ Community, and and yet you experienced it, right? You're all we're also launching something new. <laughs> so I don't think you probably did not notice the intricacies of exactly how. Garrett writes something to be announced or whatever, but uh, I really wanted to make sure we're like, hey, we're not, it's not just relaunching, it's launching something because we're trying something new together. And I have no doubt 
uh, there will be some times where it just feels weird. And maybe one was this past week, right? Uh, I know some groups were like, this was fun. This part was weird, whatever, right? And the, you'll, we'll have some of that uh, for sure. And so, you know, let us know. Uh, uh, the, the community group leadership team should know how to, how to filter information uh, back to us. And we'll take note of these things, right? As we move along and, and sort of toward the end of the semester, we'll think through, okay, now what was great here? Uh, what do we need to shift to maximize? What needs some work, et cetera? So uh, we'll just take a deep breath and kind of feel this out uh, and have some fun with it. Uh, but I really want to thank you, especially to, uh, we've had a lot of folks who are diving into these new roles. We're kind of trying to do community groups as a team. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, for jumping into that uh, and being a part of this. I think, you know, even though it'll, it will we'll take some time to figure out, okay, now how do we exactly work together in all this stuff? I'm really excited that we're working together uh, and that we're, we're trying something together uh, as a team. So just a couple notes before we dive in. I hope your heart is ready for good news this morning. I hope my heart is ready for good news this morning. Uh, let me pray for us for a second before we dive into this, that our hearts would be ready. Lord God, uh, thank you that we have your word. Uh, thank you that we can come together and uh, not, just, not just look at your word in uh, isolation, though that's important too. We like the Bible reading plans, but to come together, uh, read it in community, understand uh, what you have to say to us, and then uh, hopefully walk that out in community by your spirit's power. Uh, we want soft hearts this morning. We want soft hearts to hear, not from Garrett, but from you. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from your spirit. We want your spirit to impress on us what you have for us, particularly your good news. Would you remind us of it? Would you cause us to live uh, just uh, obsessed with it? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're here in uh, Mark, as Molly Kate read for us, and we're going to dive into uh, a little more of baptism. We talked about it some last week. We'll talk about it this week. We're not talking about like a full theology of baptism uh, or anything like that. So uh, if you were committed to being a, uh, a Baptist, right, like you get baptized after belief, don't worry, this Presbyterian is not here to indoctrinate you this morning. That's later. Uh, so anyway, we talked about last week. Uh, that uh right when especially national championship time is like oh you get baptized in the georgia gear don't you and so you saw a picture if you were here last week of of us and our kids from 2018 which was a uh disappointing evening wasn't it uh this past week was a lot more fun and so uh we're in athens now and so uh Allie and i and the kids took or we took the kids uh to the parade yesterday and had a lot of fun I took pictures. I promise I was there, but I'm not in many of the pictures. Uh, but uh, they had a blast. And so it's just a little more of that uh, baptism uh, into, I don't know, I've got to get out of the way here, don't I? Those are cute people. Um, a little more of this baptism, right? And if you weren't with us last week, you're like, what are you talking about, man? You just got a Georgia hat on. Uh, baptism. Uh, is more than just water on the head or a full dunking, again, if that's your thing, uh, right? The Greek, uh, there are a couple words in Greek, bapto, baptizo, the, both of those will be translated uh, into baptism. They have a significant semantic range, though, which means that uh, they can be translated lots of ways. 
Uh, and so here's an example of several different ways that uh, Greek at the time that the New Testament was being writing, being written, right? Writing? What was that? <laughs> the, time the New Testament is being written, uh, where these words are translated or mean uh, different things. So bapto or baptismo can, baptizo can mean not only washing, but tempering steel. Oh, that was fascinating, right? Could, you, you could use that word for tempering steel. You could use that word for uh, dyeing a fabric as well. Use those words for uh, gilding or silvering something. Or even in uh, at least one instance, it is used uh, to give a bloody head. So there's that. So uh, that brings us back to just something we talked about last week that uh, is going to be important for us this week. When we talk about baptism, we're talking in particular about being overwhelmed by and identified by something. So one thing, overwhelmed by and identified by another thing. And so in the uh, Christian spiritual realm, we are thinking of it in terms of being uh, overwhelmed by and identified by Christ Jesus. We talked about that uh, in the Holy Spirit some last week. And so we're in this, we're looking at Jesus' baptism, this overwhelming, this identifying. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, this is our second week in a series that we're actually going to kind of come back to multiple times this coming year, uh, the once and future king. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and Mark is introducing us to the Son of God. Mark is introducing us to the Messiah, the one to come that God's people were expecting would be the king, the king who would deliver, who would save his people. So Mark's introducing us to uh, the one who is king and the king who is to come as well. And so we're looking at this passage with Jesus' baptism and then packing in as well his wilderness, his temptation, uh, and going out uh, in his mission as well. And that's uh, an interesting part of this gospel of Mark. Like we said last week, shortest gospel. It's only 16 chapters uh, and a significant portion at the end of chapter 16 seems to be something that's kind of tacked on later on. It doesn't disagree with anything in the gospel per se. And so it's not something you need to X out of your Bible. It's just not something that we would base a whole lot of theology on, right? Uh, but short gospel, uh, it is a rudimentary in terms of its uh, language, right? The Greek there is not as fully developed as you will see in the other gospels. Uh, it's action-oriented as well. So this gospel contains the fewest uh, storylines of, of Jesus specifically teaching, speaking. It's more like, hey, Jesus went here, then he did this, then he did that, right? And so that's what we see even in this passage, uh, where you see uh, some of these stories in parallel gospels taking several more verses, right? He was baptized, and here's something about that, and he went in the wilderness, and here's something about that, and then he went preaching, and here's something about that. Uh, Mark kind of packs this into just a few verses, which in some ways makes it uh, a really cool gospel to study, to look into. So we'll look at this and say, what do we see in this passage of the gospel of Mark? And then how does this apply to us? Just like we do every, every week. So we're looking at this. And the first thing we see is this, that God the Son identifies with sinful humanity in his baptism. 
Typically, we would think of, of baptism kind of the other way around, like we're identifying with God. Uh, but what we see here is that God the Son actually identifies with us, with sinful humanity, in his baptism. So again, verse 9 says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. I don't want to take for granted the geology, I mean, geography here, right? Uh, Mark talks a lot about geography, and so there's a little map I think we have maybe uh, that can give us a bit of an idea of what we're talking about, right? And so here's the here's the area uh, that we're in up here. Right? Way down south here is Jerusalem. Samaria is in between. We talked about how uh, usually they would walk around Samaria. These are folks who uh, uh, had gone in a different direction in terms of their religion and were considered unclean, and Jesus chose to travel through there some, which is amazing. Uh, and so we're here in the north in Galilee. Uh, this would have been part of the uh, northern ten tribes that were Israel, right? This was uh, an area that, uh, again, uh, as Israel was uh, conquered and exiled from the promised land uh, into Babylon, People stayed in Samaria and in Galilee. It's actually referred to uh, in the scriptures as Galilee of the nations. Right? Uh, and so people stayed there and intermarried and mixed with all the folks from all over the world that the Assyrians were bringing in uh, to there as well. And so this is kind of the, the cultural milieu to some extent. Uh, that uh, God's people step back into when they come back from uh, exile in Babylon. And so uh, you've got a whole bunch of them down here in Judea, around Jerusalem and that whole area, uh, and then up north in Galilee. And so this is where most of Jesus's uh, early ministry is taking place in the north, up around the, the Sea of Galilee, um, in that area, right? But here he comes to the Jordan, uh, which you see on the on the right hand side of that map. Uh, it's generally there's God's people were kind of on uh, both sides of the river, some throughout their history. But generally speaking, it's kind of the border. Okay? Uh, and so uh, Jesus comes to John in the Jordan, because if you remember last week, John is coming, preparing the way uh, for the Messiah and uh, uh, preaching a baptism of repentance. He's saying, come, right? Do uh, this ceremonial washing, this ceremonial cleansing that would feel familiar to you because we have a whole bunch of them uh, in our religion, right? Come do this as an act of repentance, as an act of turning away from self, et cetera, and turning to God. And so uh, it says that Jesus uh, goes into the Jordan to be baptized, and then he comes up, uh, which again, nothing in the text necessitates uh, that he is coming up out of water, like as in his head coming out of the water. There are very steep banks uh, for the Jordan, uh, and so my understanding would be he's coming up out of the water uh, as uh, this is going on. Uh, first, let me pause and think about why on earth is it that Jesus is being baptized I mean, John the Baptist basically asks the question himself, doesn't he? Like, what is going on here? I need to be baptized by you. This is a baptism of repentance. I don't know if you ever paused and looked at this story and thought like, I mean, it sounds cool. There's a dove. Who doesn't like that? Uh, but what exactly is going on here? Here's what's going on. Uh, Jesus is identifying with us. Okay? 
has no need to repent. But uh, R.C. Sproul says it this way. He says, John's baptism was a command that God gave to his people because John was a prophet from God. So when John says, be baptized, it's a command to the people of God that all the people of God who hear it uh, would be obligated to. So it's a command to his people, and so it had to be obeyed. If our Savior had neglected this rule, his obedience to the Father would have been lacking, and he could not have saved us. John Calvin goes on a little more. He says, Jesus received the same baptism with us in order to assure believers that they are engrafted into his body. And that they are buried for him to fulfill all righteousness. And then Calvin does this really uh, kind of cool, interesting paraphrase of what Jesus says uh, in his baptism. He says, say nothing for the present about my rank. For the question before us is not which of us deserves to be placed above the other. Let us rather consider what our calling demands and what has been enjoined on us by God the Father. The general reason why Christ received baptism was that he might render full obedience to the Father. And the special reason was that he might consecrate baptism in his own body, that we might have it in common with him. He does not stay above the masses. The king comes to be with us. You think of some of the like the stories or the the movies you may have read uh, at some or may have seen <laughs> stories you may have read movies you may have seen at one time uh, or another, right? Think think of things like uh, the Disney version of Aladdin, right, where the the princess so you got to get out of these castle walls they're restricting, right? I got to get out with the people, so she puts on a little disguise and goes out among the people, right? Maybe that gives us a little bit of a hint of what's going on here, but this is uh, this is better than uh, Princess uh, what's your name, Jasmine. Right? It's better than Prince Harry. He apparently felt this as well. Uh, it's better than just like, whoa, this is constricting. I want out, right? Oh, it's better than uh, the the princess in Aladdin uh, saying, oh, this is uh, this is constricting. Let me go fraternize. Uh, with the, the riffraff a little bit, but I get to go back home. No, uh, Jesus does not stay above even uh, in that way. In, in baptism, Jesus says, no, I'm with them. I'm with you. I think of the most ridiculous illustration ever uh, with this, but I couldn't help but think of Looney Tune cartoons. You've ever watched the Looney Tunes? And some of us uh, remember those from when we were a kid. I feel like there were several of these, but I, I remember specifically uh, there was always the cat, Sylvester. He's hunting a mouse, and uh, and over and over again, he would run into that big, huge kangaroo. You remember that? Uh, Sylvester's got the advantage, totally. He's always chasing the mouse, and then the mouse goes in a little hole, and somehow or another, this big old kangaroo comes out, and he thinks, oh, the mouse is growing, right? Uh, of course, uh, the the uh, the kangaroo whips him, uh, and I love it, right? Uh, it cracks me up. I love Looney Tunes. There's a little bit of, like, that's what's going on here. Right? That we've got an enemy who has us beaten. Like, no question. We're done. We're toast. Uh, and yet, 
who comes out to our defense, but someone that he cannot handle at all, at all. Uh, Jesus fully identifies with us. I'm with him. I'm with her. They're mine. He fully identifies with sinful humanity. Second thing, God the Father identifies Jesus as beloved son in his baptism. So in verse 10, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you're my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. And so God the Father uh, identifies God the Son, identifies Jesus as beloved Son. So add those two together. Jesus identifies himself with sinful humanity. God the Father identifies Jesus as beloved Son. Therefore, sinful humanity becomes overwhelmed with and identified by God, the Father's declaration about Jesus. Sons, children of God. And don't, don't get too caught up in the, the gendered language here, okay? There are several spots. Uh, Isaiah 66, 13, uh, God says, as a mother comforts son, so I comfort you. You may remember the passage, uh, Matthew 23, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers chicks. It's rare, uh, but God actually uh, uses language about himself, right? We know good and well that God is not gendered, right? So he uses some of both, but overall, his overarching uh, uh, language about himself is father. Why? Why? Uh, Jesus brings us all in to be children of God, and Jesus brings us all in to be uh, sons of God, in a sense, sons of the Father, firstborn sons of the Father, right? The New Testament does not obliterate gender. It's not an uh, obliteration of the uniqueness here. Now, instead, it brings us into the privilege of the Son, and so we are still built uniquely and beautifully and wonderfully. You know, you think about uh, as well things like race and ethnicity. Revelation says every time, every tribe, every nation, somehow you know that. I assume that means the different tribes and languages are going on there in the new heavens and the new earth. It's not obliteration, right? It's all brought into the beautiful privilege of the inheritance of being the firstborn son of God. Right? This, is a, this is a reference as well to, to Psalm 2, where God says to David, you are my son. And he's talking uh, about him as king here, but you are my son. He says, ask of me, I'll make the nations your heritage, uh, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And uh, he speaks this to David, the king who uh, is to go uh, and conquer, but the fuller fulfillment is Jesus. It's spoken over Jesus here uh, by a voice from heaven, uh, the Father himself, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of this. He is the Son, and the nations are his heritage, which is us. It's the only way we're in. 
And then he says, I'm well pleased. She's not just a son. A, a son in whom the father is well pleased. We are engrafted into one who is beloved. Right? Jesus is a beloved son. And so you're engrafted into one who has all the, the privileges and inheritance of being that firstborn son, and you're engrafted into one who is just adored, which means you are as well in him. This uh, book I've been reading kind of devotionally, just kind of making my way through it real slowly. Uh, it was a, a recommendation of Tim Keller, uh, which is, you know, it's funny. I was telling my wife the other day, it's like, I, I actually have not listened to a Tim Keller sermon in a really long time, but anything he recommends, I try to get. Uh, and I think at one point I had mentioned that uh, I've listened to a podcast where Tim Keller talks about how people with like a really great deep spiritual life, uh, it's wonderful. And you look at them, you're like, oh, I want to be, I want to have that. And typically they have no idea how to tell you how to get there. Right? <laughs> so one of his suggestions, uh, he, he suggested several books to sort of warm your heart uh, to the reality of the gospel. One of them was this communion with the triune God by John Owen. That's kind of a long quotation, but I want you to hear this. John Owen says this. This is not a modern problem. Christians walk oftentimes with exceedingly troubled hearts concerning the thoughts of the Father toward them. They're well persuaded of the Lord Christ and his goodwill. The difficulty lies in what is their acceptance with the Father? What's his heart toward them? And he says, the Father's love ought to be looked on as the fountain from whence all other sweetnesses flow. Few can carry up their hearts and minds to this height by faith as to rest their souls in the love of the, the Father. They live below it in the troublesome region of hopes and fears, storms and clouds. This is the will of God, that he may always be eyed as kind, tender, loving, and unchangeable, and in that uniquely as your Father, as the great fountain and spring from all gracious communications and fruits of love, this is that which Christ came to reveal, God as Father to you. I have a, a family um, very close to my family, who have treated me like a son my entire life. Uh, if I were to walk through some of these, some of the things that these folks have, have done for me, uh, you probably have to pick your jaw up off the floor. They've been just profoundly, incredibly kind to me. They loved my parents and my parents loved them, uh, but they loved my parents and so they just loved me. That's the kind of thing that, that I think about here, right? uh, is, is sort of being adopted, whether it's literally adopted or just having someone who just chooses to love you, to adore you. That's what God is saying here. In Christ Jesus, I adore you. And I do it because I chose to love you first. The Father chose to love you because that's who he is. It's amazing. 
And so I think of, of this family and then it's like in Jesus, oh my goodness, even more so, right? Because they have a son. I mean, they treat me as a son. They would even call me, hey, he's like my, my other son. Uh, and yet there is a slight difference between me and their actual son who lived with them for 18 years or whatever, right? There's, there's a little bit of a difference there. There's no difference in Jesus, no difference whatsoever. In him, uh, we are treated as Jesus. Good. It is good. Amen. Third thing is this. God the Spirit, right? So uh, uh, God the Son identifies with sinful humanity in his baptism. God the Father identifies Jesus as beloved Son in the baptism. God the Spirit identifies God's mission through Jesus and through those baptized in him in this baptism. So it says a, a few things specifically about what the Spirit does here, right? Uh, first is this, uh, the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, right? And it's not abundantly clear what this symbolism is uh, in the scriptures. Uh, so one uh, commentator says, some have maintained that the dove sent out by Noah in Genesis 8 is behind this symbolism. More probable is the allusion to Genesis 1 where one finds the appearance of the spirit as signaling the beginning of a new creative act of God. And uh, another great commentator, a guy named Craig Blomberg says, the dove may allude to the spirit brooding over God's original creation. Regardless, it's interesting imagery, isn't it? God who hovers or broods over the waters in Genesis 1 for the purpose uh, of blessing his creation and creating, sends out this uh, dove over the waters of uh, the flood with Noah in Genesis 8, blessing by sparing his creation. And there's a, a bit of a sense of recreation there as well. The same God rests upon Jesus by his Holy Spirit in this manifestation of a dove in order to bless, again, all nations in Christ. As uh, Dale Allison says, fashioning a new creation. This is the symbolism of fashioning a new creation, I think. And then the second thing, that the Spirit sends Christ out into the wilderness, onto his mission. So uh, the mission begins in the wilderness. The mission begins uh, out in the desert, defeating the king of this world. Uh, Mark doesn't give us much detail here. The parallel accounts show us what is going on uh, with Jesus in uh, the evil one's temptation of him. And, uh, you know, places like John 12 talk about him as the one who is the, the ruler of this world until Jesus comes. And Jesus personally, over those 40 days, defeats him. So the mission actually starts right then and there, right? And then he moves forward, proclaiming, it says, the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the mission begins in the wilderness. The mission continues by calling others into the mission. And he says, the kingdom is near because the king is here. 
And then hold intention in your heads there. When you see Jesus say that the kingdom is here, the kingdom is near, hold it in tension that he also says, pray that the kingdom would come, doesn't he? When he teaches us how to pray. He says, repent as well. Same message that we saw last week uh, from John the Baptist. Turn from self as king, self uh, as queen. Self is the one who determines what is uh, good and evil. Turn from trying to be righteous through your own deeds. Uh, turn from your own sense of goodness and what? Believe. Believe the good news. What was the good news at this point? They didn't know it in fullness, right? Uh, Jesus uh, had personally defeated Satan in his uh, temptation, but he's uh, still yet to defeat him fully on our behalf in his crucifixion and resurrection. So they're believing what? The Messiah has come, the king has come to do something about our sin. It's tied together with this sense of this uh, baptism for the repentance of sins. And so uh, come. I come now, as you've repented, uh, he, he has come to bring you into this new kingdom of heaven. And he has come to uh, bring this kingdom of heaven through you. And so again, pray that the kingdom would come in fullness. Uh, pray that his will would be done in fullness on earth as it is in heaven. And so here's a summation of what we see this week. Jesus came to give you the pleasure of God and to enlist you in the mission of giving it to others. Jesus came to give you the pleasure of God and enlist you in the mission of giving it to others. And I mean by that, uh, that he is pleased in us. He give you the pleasure of God. God is pleased in you eternally in Christ Jesus. You can't jack that up. Man, I tried. I don't know if you have. You cannot. In Christ Jesus, eternally, God's pleasure is upon you, and you can do nothing about it. If you have repented and believed on Jesus, it also works the other, the other way, though, right? Uh, uh, Jesus gives us the pleasure of God the Father, and he gives us pleasure in God, doesn't he? Uh, he gives us pleasure of knowing God, of having true life. And so this is what we are about. Right? This is what we are about as the church, as God's church, right? Uh, our whole thing is uh, bringing life, bringing this uh, pleasure of God that he promises for people, bringing life to people who think, no way. No, nah, not me. I mean, you don't understand how bad it's been, right? Uh, you, you don't understand uh, what my life has been like, what I've done, what I've been through. The whole thing is that we are bringing God's pleasure uh, for them to them. Right? This is what heaven on earth, right? earth as it is in heaven is all about. And I think for us, specifically us, Christ community, uh, and churches that may be like us. I think there's a real concern for us, for those of us who uh, care as scripture teaches us to care uh, for the vulnerable in a context uh, where it appears that much of the church in our world does not, I'm not saying they don't, but it sure appears that much of the church does not really want to deal with that these days. I think there's a real concern for us 
uh, in forgetting that the mission is about life. That's what it's about. When we say all of Athens flourishing, uh, in Athens as in heaven, right? our work for flourishing, for restoration, for justice is all about, about uh, bringing life, is all about bringing uh, God's promise of pleasure to the lost and to those that the world calls the least. Come. Come, no life. Here and now, as it is in heaven, for real. Right here and now, uh, in your soul, flourishing, as we've said often this fall, in faith. That you might, and that we all might, uh, continue flourishing and, and grow in our hearts to love others more and more and flourishing compassion. That we might move out with that into all the spheres where we have a little bit of influence in our, our work and our, our voices and our relationships, et cetera, to see full flourishing communally and justice as well. And that's just a cycle that goes on and on and on, flourishing in faith and in compassion and in justice and in faith and in compassion and in justice. I'll wrap with this. Uh, my daughter is a super reader. I have no idea how that happened uh, because when I was little, it was all you could do to get me to read something if it did not have pictures of action heroes jacked up like Arnold Schwarzenegger punching each other in the face or something. Right, But somehow or another, she just loves to read and I love it. Uh, and lately, she and uh, Allie have been reading through uh, the series of Anne of Green Gables. And listen, if it was everything that you could get me to do to read a book, it would be even, even more uh, in terms of Anne of Green Gables. I never read it. But in class, they would sometimes have us watch the little, I guess it was a PBS miniseries or something. I don't know. Those of you... Yeah, you're nodding. You know stuff. Uh, and man, I hate it. I mean, just every second of it was like, oh my gosh. When they used to bring that cart with the TV out into your classroom, you're like, yes, 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 yes. You're like, we're going to watch Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sweet. Uh, did not love it, but she's gotten so into it and it's so sweet. And so we've watched some of this miniseries again there by the way there is a streaming service that is just dedicated to Anne of Green Gables did you know this now you do uh and, but I'm, I'm watching it and I gotta admit like there are spots I'm tearing up I'm tearing up uh so if you don't know Anne of Green Gables right she's this orphan she's precocious she's difficult she's taken in uh by Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert uh, and Matthew shows her love as a father, and Marilla's a little harder, but she comes around eventually, right? And then Matthew uh, passes away, uh, and then somewhere in the story as well, Marilla starts to go blind, uh, and uh, Anne is loved and fathered so well in this brief time at the beginning of the stories by Matthew that she decides she's going to give up this scholarship she's earned. Uh, to work at a school close by and care for uh, her adopted mom, Marilla. 
and uh, uh, the the school is far away, but that's okay. She's going to do it, right? It's uh, she'll she'll commute back when she can. Do you call it commuting on a horse? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but there's she's she's willing to make this huge sacrifice. It's like, oh no, don't do that. She can't be stopped, right? And then her friend Gilbert uh, decides he's going to give up his teaching post there in the town uh, and take something further away so that Anne can take it and she can be close by and really care for Marilla. And uh, it may have been, I, I may have teared up a little bit. <laughs> it's sweet. Uh, and I think it brings us around to just the whole point, right? When you've been loved, you share love. When you feel the blessing and keeping and the face of your father shining and his countenance lifted upon you, his smile, you cannot help but bring that blessing to others. Let me pray. Lord, we ask that this would be true of us, uh, that we really would see uh, the reality of your good news in all of its glory and beauty. Uh, and as we prayed earlier, uh, we want to see our sin for what it is as well. We want to see our sin for what it is so that the gospel actually looks like good news to us. So that we're not getting enamored in the other really important things, but things that flow from the gospel. We want to have hearts uh, that are just amazed by and set on your good news. That we might love. That we might bring your restoration and flourishing. We pray these things again, as we've said several times this morning, not because of our goodness, but we are in you. We pray it in your name. Amen.